Hello and welcome to Superfancast. My name is Chris. I'm joined by Matt, and this is season two, episode seven, Placebo. You know, I was at the gym today, Chris, and they were playing Placebo's cover of Running Up That Hill, but a really funky, trancy version. Were they really? I felt like I was literally running up a hill. <laughs> were you? Were you running up a hill? In my mind, I was. It was did you, good, did you know though. that existed before this? Yeah, in the back of my mind. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, oh. and I think it's, I think it's had a burst of uh, popularity because of Kate Bush and Stranger Things and whatnot. Yeah, I think it has. I, I was reading something that, but I remember seeing that it's had a, it's had a burst of popularity. I don't think I had heard it to be honest. But yeah, it yeah. seems to be the only one. It's good. It's a good, it's a good cover. It's very, it's very unique. It's very unique, and it's cool that Kate Bush is trending as well. It's, it's yeah, and and now I don't know if you if you watch Stranger Things, the series finale includes a really cool scene that uses Metallica's Master of Puppets, which is now oh, starting really? to trend on streaming platforms. We're we're easily uh easily sweat fickle nation, aren't we? Like yeah. <laughs> Someone's just got to suggest something, the slightest suggestion in the distance. Oh well, yeah, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Oh, yeah. And I watched it. I was like, oh, this is gonna get. This is gonna get downloaded everywhere. Surely, well, it's not downloaded anymore, is it? It's streaming. I'm so old. But people do people download still. Uh, I do. I I download off Spotify. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair like I'll, I'll download favorite albums so that I don't have to stream them. Smart. Smart. I think anyway, yeah. I was listening to a thing the other day where they said a, a stream of a, a song counts. You have to stream it 160, I think it was, times for it to count towards one sale. On Oh, in, in, on all platforms? Yeah, on, yeah, on all platforms. And that's how they calculate uh, oh. the charts these days. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense, I guess, because if you, if you actually bought the the single... In the old days, you would have listened to it 160 times, wouldn't you? Oh, definitely. That's what I aim towards with a single. Yeah, once you listen to it 160 times, then you just throw it in the bin. What's been going on in your world? Oh, I know what's been going on in our worlds generally in the UK is Glastonbury. Oh, yeah, Glastonbury. Yeah. Yeah, that was quite a big thing, wasn't it? I paid no attention to Glastonbury prior to you texting me about it because it's just not something I pay any attention to each year, really, because generally... I mean, maybe I'm wrong, actually. I'm about to say something that could be complete rubbish, but I always assumed that these days, Glastonbury tends to be the same kind of lineups that you would get for, like, you know, Tea in the Park or something. It's just, like, 40 different versions of Playboy Carti or something. I don't know. Like, people that I'm not listening to. But this lineup was was phenomenal, wasn't it? Yeah, I I don't pay much attention to Glastonbury anyway, but it it kept appearing in uh, in my peripheral vision. Uh, all these different acts that were playing, and I was like, "Wow, this is a really good lineup!" Like, I'm really impressed. Like, they're Paul McCartney, uh, Bruce Springsteen, Billie Eilish. Well, like, well, they they had so many. Like, every day, I'm keep seeing new people. Like today, I saw that um, TLC were playing. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And they weren't even in the big. I mean, I guess they're not like a big band anymore. But yeah, they were. They looked like they were on quite a small stage. And they're like, oh, this is great. This is so cool. And they had Lord, Dinah Ross, they had Elbow, Noel Gallagher, Robert Plant played as well. Did he? Yeah. Just doing, um, just doing a solo set? Just him? I think he did stuff with Alison Krauss. That's amazing. That's not what I would expect to see at Glastonbury. Mm, yeah. And Jack White as well, with his cool blue hair. He's very, he's, he's very current though, isn't he, Jack White? Well, I suppose Robert Plant's still making music, but he's not. 
Robert mm-hmm. Plant's not the act I would expect to see that. I mean, Billie Eilish, I would fully expect to be headlining Glastonbury. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the other acts... Well, where did Diana Ross come from? Where did she pull in from? Well, she just she was just in the area. Just thought oh, she'd come and say hello. <laughs> did a set. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's brilliant, though. It's great. And there's, there must have been so many kids there that didn't know a lot of those artists and have gone away now with a new appreciation for them. Pet Shop Boys as well. So, so many. And yeah, I think it might have been because it wasn't held the last two years because of COVID. So they've just tried to compensate by inviting everyone in the world to play there. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I do I do get a bit puzzled about Glastonbury though. Like, what is their target audience? Because they just have such a, a broad scope of people playing. I don't know what the target audience is now. Yeah, I mean, back when we were kids, it was it was much more of an indie festival, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I think it lost that in the sort of like the, the early noughties. It started becoming more mainstream. And I think these days, Glastonbury's not got that, that free spirit vibe that it used to have. I think it's mm. now a very big commercial event. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, they, it's like the people there, they just don't care who's on stage just because they're all just so partied up and I don't know if they're drunk or high on something that like everyone could just go on the stage and like yeah this is great so they, they invite everybody to play yeah did were you a festival guy when you were younger or now no, not at all no i've i i prefer indoor concerts and this is one of my old man stories like oh god but i like the the only big it wasn't even a big festival it was it was like a hyde park special event throughout the day lots of lots of artists playing in Hyde Park in London mm. and the big star at the end was Stevie Wonder wow uh, yeah and Jamiroquai was supporting and uh, James Morrison mate that's a killer but, lineup yeah it was it was really good i mean i enjoyed i enjoyed the music but i thought the crowd were just vile <laughs> just mm. disgusting cuz by the time Stevie came on they were all really drunk and it was almost as if they didn't even know he was on stage and he was talking to them. They were like, get on with it and feeling a bit disrespectful. Like, come on, this is Stevie Wonder. You know, you might not ever yeah. get to see him again. You know, he's... I mean, he certainly the... won't see them again. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I walked into that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, but that's but that just made me think, like, I don't really like outdoor concerts. Yeah. I like, yeah, I like arenas and or little venues inside. It just feels better, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went to V Festival for quite a few years running, and but but I was that age where it was perfectly acceptable to to be that person that you disliked, you know, when I was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and I uh, probably was getting a bit rowdy and drinking too much and being a bit silly, but that was then. Wouldn't do it now, mm. but but nowadays I'm not. Surprisingly, I'm not a massive fan of a lot of live events, just because I'm not. I like to sit and listen to the music. I'm not gonna. I don't want to get up and boogie. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. at a lot of events, there's kind of two options: you either get up and boogie, or you stand at the edge where <laughs> and feel yeah. awkward. Yeah, I don't really want to stand at the edge and feel awkward. So no, no. But, yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? I've been listening to. It's not surprising, really, but I've been listening to loads of Matchbox Twenty lately. Oh, I've also okay. been amping up my trolling on, on Twitter with Rob Thomas. Yeah, I saw. I saw, yeah. You really want him to come on for an interview, don't you? <laughs> One day. It's it's like pipe dream, isn't it? But I reckon if I if I pester him every day, he'll eventually notice us. He'll eventually crack. Yeah. Do anything you tell him. 
I think they've got a new album coming out, which would be amazing. And I hope I'm not wrong about that. But I think I've seen some murmurings about them recording a new album, which should be good. Fingers crossed on that, because I wasn't a massive fan of their last album. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. I think that Matchbox 20 leans so heavily on Rob Thomas's songwriting. And Mm -hmm. part of me feels that, and this isn't reality, what I'm about to say, but in my head, this is how it all looks. Uh, Part of me thinks that some artists that are great songwriters, they're kind of born with these songs in their head. Mm -hmm. And he might have just used them all up. You know, he's used up all the good ones because those first three albums... I mean, the first two albums were phenomenal. And actually, so Tabitha's Secret, which was his, his band before Matchbox 20, all the songs he wrote for Tabitha's Secret were amazing. Then the first two Matchbox 20 albums, amazing. The third Matchbox 20 album was okay. And then I think now he's just... Because his solo career, I didn't I didn't love a lot of the stuff. I can still listen to everything from his solo career because I love his voice. But I don't think the, the songwriting was as impressive as, as the early years. And I kind of feel maybe maybe artists sometimes they have a finite number of songs in their head already they're already there they've just got to tap into it mm. and you can you can spend that and, and run out do you think i don't th- i don't know i've never really thought of it that way i, I think, think. Mm. Let me know. that's very philosophical but then some artists like stevie wonder he's been non-stop hasn't he like he he's he's never there's there wasn't a point in stevie wonder's career where it, it dropped off well look at prince i mean Pretty much every every year he came out with a new album that was all him. And when he died, they found vaults of thousands of songs. I think it was thousands. Um, and some people are just naturally gifted at songwriting. And some people, they have to kind of milk it out of inspiration. Yeah. And that's, that's why I'm so desperate to interview someone like Son Wardner from My Vitriol, because I feel the same way about you know, because Fine Lines was a debut album for them and he was so young. And I think the songs on there are so well crafted. I'd love to know what that songwriting technique is and, and how he approaches that songwriting. Mm. Um, because it's not like he was, he didn't spend a couple of decades refining that. He, okay, it wasn't necessarily his first attempt at it. He'd been in other bands and he, for all I know, he could have spent every day since he could walk up in his room trying to learn how to write a song. But that's the kind of stuff I want to know. Mm. And that's, yeah, the, I mean, yeah, that's also that, why I desperately want to speak to Rob Thomas. Yeah, that's true. And to be honest, I don't have any experience of Matchbox 20 at all. All I know him is from that uh, Santana song. I know, bless him. And he uh, sounds like someone who's trying to do a really terrible impression of Eddie Vedder. Oh, do you think so? I've never thought yeah, that. I've always thought that. I just thought, like, it's not very original. I'm on complete other side of the fence. I think he's got a very unique voice. You gotta introduce me to some some Matchbox Twenty. Try and convince me. Oh yeah, definitely, gladly. I mean, it's not hard. They've got four albums, and three of them are mind blowing. So pick one. <laughs> one of them's really shit. <laughs> no, no, North isn't shit. It's just not as good as the others. Yeah. Anyway, okay. sorry. That's enough about me. What What have you been listening to, mate? Uh, not very much because I am in the process of moving home. Uh, so lots of placebo, of course. Mm, but I did come across a guy, well, I never heard of him before, but apparently he's had a number one album a couple of years ago, number one in the UK, a guy called Jerry Cinnamon. Have you heard of Jerry Cinnamon? Never heard of Jerry Cinnamon. He's a Scottish singer-songwriter, uh, he plays acoustic guitar. He sounds a bit like Lewis Capaldi, but 
like beefed up on steroids. Interesting. And when I heard him, I, I imagined him like this massive like bodybuilder, like Rocky, you know, but he's not quite like that. He looks quite like a cute little man with a, with his cap on. Uh, he's, he's from Glasgow. He's, and he sings with his accent really bold and clear in his songs. Mm-hmm. And I really like that when artists do that. When they don't sound American or English, they sound like, yeah, this is, this is who I am. And it's, uh, it was the album called The Bonnie. And it's really nice, really folky, really catchy songs. I really liked it. I was like, oh, how have I not heard to this guy before? Like, this guy must be, should be much bigger than, well, yeah, you know, you know me, I don't really keep up with, with the Joneses. But yeah, he's, he was really impressive. I've definitely never heard of Jerry Cinnamon. I'll um, I'll check it out though because you're you're on a bit of a roll actually because you recommended Eat Static in the last episode. Oh, you got really into Eat Static, haven't you? Oh my my word! Well, only really one album. Back Back to Earth. Back to Earth. Yeah, only that one album, Back to Earth. And that's not to say their other stuff isn't good, but I listened to a couple of records and it wasn't. It was good, but I wasn't blown away by it. And then I listened to Back to Earth and. Oh, it's just amazing, isn't it? It's so, mm. so eclectic. Like, there's yeah. just sounds from everywhere in that record. Yeah. Anyway, interesting fact for you. Did you tell me that Eat Static was two chaps from uh, Osric Tentacles? I did. So when I listened to Back to Earth, I immediately thought, this reminds me of Primate by Zub Zub. And Zub Zub mm. were, were a duo that I saw, uh, I saw at a festival on Canby Island a few years back. Nice. A lot of years back, actually. But, Canby um, Island. Classic. Yeah. And Zub Zub were amazing. And that, that album, Primate, was, was so good. And I looked them up. There's no... Primate isn't on Spotify, but you can find it on Bandcamp. And uh, on their Bandcamp, it says that Zub Zub are two guys that used to be in Osric Tentacles. No way. <laughs> yeah. Wonder if, they're, wonder if they're the same people. They're not. No, I did. I looked at the names. But I wonder, is, is Osric Tentacles one of those bands that cycled through like a, a billion people? I think they've had quite a... Yeah, they've had quite a few lineups because they've been around for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you like that Back to Earth record, definitely listen to Primate because uh, it is a great album. Yeah, so it says Primate, the fourth album from Zub Zub, one of the UK's premier live psychedelic dance groups featuring former members of Osric Tentacles. Oh, amazing. And it has got the names of the guys here in Zub Zub. It's Zia Gilani, Mark Fletcher, John Egan, and Alex Pym. Those are the four people that contributed to, to Primate. And I, and I mm. did look up uh, Eat Static and it wasn't the same. But, but it's still uh, pretty cool, huh? That they yeah. they clearly have you know similar influences and a similar sound there. And it's because yeah. they came from the same band. Yeah. Makes me want to listen to some more Osric Tentacles. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah. It's a good ad for Osric. Oh, they've done this, haven't they? This has just mm-hmm. been a this has been a viral marketing campaign for Osric yeah. Tentacles. <laughs> not yeah, very, not very viral, is it? Because it's... <laughs> Should we move on? Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Placebo are a British alternative rock band that formed in 1994 in London. Founding members Brian Molko and Stefan Olsdahl continue to perform and record as Placebo and have cycled through a number of drummers and other musicians over the last 28 years. Their eponymous debut album was released in 96 and reached number 5 in the UK charts. They soon after brought in drummer Steve Hewitt, and with this core lineup, they went on to release a further four successful studio albums. In 2009, with new drummer Steve Forrest, 
Placebo released a sixth studio album that placed once again within the top 10 in the UK. A seventh record was released in 2013 before Steve Forrest departed. Other than an EP and a few compilations, Placebo didn't put anything further out until this year when they almost topped the UK charts with Never Let Me Go. Placebo are a band that quickly made a stir and impact on not only the public, but their contemporaries and forerunners. They have been quietly but steadily successful through the last three decades and have coined an almost iconically recognisable sound. They continue to make music, have never stopped performing, and I suspect there is plenty more to come. Mm. Did you like that? I like that. So there you go. That's Placebes. Yeah, uh, that all sounds real. <laughs> Not made up. I can't, argue, can't argue with any of that. So, how did you first hear of Placebo? Uh, well, I remember growing up. There were, we had music channels, Kerrang and Q, and all those Scuzz. <laughs> Scuzz is a horrible name for a channel, but anyway. Oh, I didn't have uh, Scuzz. Yeah, well, maybe you did, and you just didn't know. But mm. uh, yeah, I found Scuzz, and it's, it's yeah, I won't go there. <laughs> Uh, so I heard of them uh, growing up and of course I heard, heard Nancy Boy and I heard uh, Pure Morning and I really liked Pure Morning I uh, heard it so much and English Summer Rain that, that flew into my head at some point as well but I didn't really listen to them properly I didn't really sit down and unpack them uh, so I knew that they were out there and I knew that I enjoyed what they did, but I, yeah, it wasn't something that I, uh, probably dived into. So this was a really interesting couple of weeks for me to listen to these guys properly. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you? I probably around like, yeah, the early noughties, 2000, 2001, 2002, I was very aware of them and, I think I think I owned black market music. I certainly mm. I certainly had a, a VHS from that came free with like Kerrang magazine, I think, or oh, Enemy. Wow. And it was like a VHS of like ten music videos. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and one of the videos on it was Special K. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I had that one. And because because in those days we didn't we didn't have streaming, did we? So you have a VHS with 10 music videos on it. You're sure as hell going to watch those 10 music videos a hundred times. Oh yeah, absolutely. 160 times. Yeah. So I had like a <laughs> yeah, 160, let them get their money's worth. Um, so yeah, that has special K on it. So I saw that a lot. Uh, I think I had the single of taste in men, uh, just mm. because I, when I was, when I was Googling them this week and I saw the cover art for taste in men, I thought, yeah, I definitely reckon I'm pretty sure I had that. Um, so yeah, so I was I was aware of them and I was listening to a, a bit of their music. I I saw them at V Festival in two thousand two, mm. I think, uh, two thousand one, two thousand two, uh, and yeah, great band. I thought they were a great band. I must say, I didn't know they'd continued. I didn't know they were still making music. Um, mm. I was really surprised mm. to see that they were still making music and that they've never stopped making music. It's not like they no. had a hiatus or anything. Um, which I mean, we'll talk about that more. But um, yeah, they they def- they never split and they've never. Well, we'll talk about that more. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they've, they've been doing their thing. They've been doing their thing yeah. for the last twenty eight years, which is really surprising to me. Really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so, and that's about it, really. Yeah, I think I think my under- my 
memories of placebos from that period, the early noughties. And I, I will say that <clears throat> Brian Molko definitely made uh, a big impact um, when I was first for a lot of a lot of people, I think. <laughs> I think mm. most people that that even didn't know their music, they saw Brian for the first time on Top of the Pops or something mm. and thought, yeah. who is that? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not not knowing is it is he is he a man or a woman and yeah, he's just incredibly attractive and not not uh, most people in the audience, you know, all the all the straight men in the audience feeling quite uncomfortable <laughs> thinking, oh, why do I find him attractive? <laughs> yeah. It was just very different, wasn't he? And, and well, yeah, he striking. still is, yeah, and still yeah, is, definitely. yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, not afraid to be himself, is he? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's probably the end of my end of my story with uh, with placebo. But it's been really fun. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about it, aren't we? But I've been I've really enjoyed this, and it's been a massive eye opener. So many things I'm going to say about in this in this episode, I'll be like, I had no idea. That's going to be mm-hmm. my catchphrase for the episode. <laughs> That'll be the name of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, I would ask five questions to help us discover a bit more about placebo. I'm going to be asking those five questions to a self-proclaimed superfan, and this week that is Ashley from Canada. Ashley will get one point per correct answer, and if she answers five questions correctly, she will be forever a superfan of placebo. Oh. Are you ready? No. We'll go then. Question one. Just a, dis- just a disclaimer: I'm not a, a placebo expert. Okay, I just do. I do my research and I listen to the albums and look around the internet, and you know, I might just end up with a load of nonsense. So you know, we'll now, see. What more can you do? What more can you do? I I can't do any more. I exactly. can't do any more. Exactly. So question one is: What year? Did Placebo perform at the Brit Awards with David Bowie? Oh, man. It was, oh, no. <laughs> I, don't know the, I don't know the year. Oh, I'm going to just flick it out of the sky. Have um, you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Oh, 2001. Oh, it's so close, mate. It's 1999. That wasn't that close. That's two years. Okay. You could have said 1753 or something. Yeah, I could have. Yeah, <laughs> that wouldn't have been right. <laughs> so yeah, 1999, they played 20th Century Boy. Yes, they did. With yes. David Bowie. Um, interesting choice. Why did they play 20th Century Boy? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they've got this whole glam rock I guess. influence, haven't they? I guess. And, yeah. and also, they were in a film called Velvet Goldmine, where oh, they... Yes. Where they uh, a film where which has got a young Christian Bale in it, uh, they they play as a, like this glam rock band and they sound really good. And Brian's got a little top hat on and it, they they play this song and it's it it really works. It really suits them. Was that around this time? That was nineteen ninety eight. Okay, so yeah, they'd have been coming off the back of that then. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe they just really like the song. It really suits them. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, uh, Brian's voice isn't the best in it, I don't think. It's quite a fast-paced tune for him. I think he tends mm. to perform better when he can drag the syllables out. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, but funnily enough, I uh, discovered this performance quite late on, after listening to a, a lot of their records. Mm. And it was only in the later records I started thinking, oh, Brian's voice does sound a little bit 
like Mark Wolan here. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, I definitely got that in um, that Loud Like Love era. I was thinking, oh, he's got a bit of a Mark Bolan thing going on here. And so then mm. to hear this, it's potential, you know, potentially Mark Bolan was a, was an influence on him. I can imagine he was, yeah. Yeah. And they sound super heavy as well, like really chunky yeah. guitars. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about um, Bowie's voice and Brian's voice together? I'm going to offend a lot of people, but I don't think they work very well together. No, you're right. I don't think they work well together either, unfortunately. Both great artists, but I didn't think they work together. It doesn't, it, it just, there isn't really any kind of chemistry, I don't think, not in, in terms of their voices, but there is chemistry on the stage because um, Bowie clearly absolutely adores this band and he looks really chuffed to be playing with them. Yeah. And and I actually saw um, some other concerts with them playing together. David Bowie in Irving Plaza in New York. I think that was their first time they played together. Yeah, well, they went on tour with Bowie really early on, didn't they? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but this, this concert, Bowie just comes on and says, yeah, this is the first time we've actually played together. And he says, this is my treat. Oh, like, he's right. really happy. It's really sweet. And they play 20th Century Boy. Bowie's playing a weird looking guitar it looks like it's only been half made you know like there's no headstock <laughs> on it and the body's really small and then halfway through the song the uh, jack lead pops out but he's still playing really uh, <laughs> enthusiastically really enthusiastically yeah a big smile on his face so yeah i mean it's 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 amazing that they got his attention so early in their career as well isn't it it is amazing and it's a it is a real love story between them i mean Brian looks up to him so much and talks about him as like he was a real teacher and a, like a. Well, he's not used to the words, but he's. It sounds like he was a bit of a father figure to him. Mm. <laughs> like, it's mm. certainly within the industry, you know, teaching him the ropes and showing like, to really took took placebo under his wing. Um, yeah, and then at the same time, Bowie seems to just yeah, as you say, really love this band and do anything for them. It's amazing. So, uh, and here's the first one. It's a relationship I did not know existed. I had no mm. idea that, that no. Yeah, that that Bowie was a uh, yeah, That's a big placebo fan. fan. <laughs> yeah, big placebo <laughs> fan. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think he didn't he get them to support him before they'd even signed. Yes. Uh, for their first album. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about signed, but certainly before they had a had the a, the debut record out. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah, Stefan said in a in an interview with Enemy, he said David actually came to us before the first album came out. Mm. When it came to Without You, I'm Nothing, he called us and said, I want to collaborate after we'd recorded and released it. <laughs> I don't know what he saw in us, he said. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Stefan awesome. is um, so modest, isn't he? He's like, for someone who has achieved quite a lot in his life and has you know, achieved quite a decent level of fame, mm. you would just never guess it from him, would you? It, when you see him interviewed, he's the no. most ordinary, not ordinary in a negative way, but just the most down-to-earth, unfazed human being definitely yeah but he's he's a great he's got great stage presence though isn't he yes yeah he's yeah. just like six foot four oh, he's a monster yeah um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> really cool guitars i saw one concert he was wearing like i think it was like a red dress yeah i've seen him in a dress a few times yeah, yeah. just quickly back to the brit awards because that's the that's where this performance with 20th century boy was oh yeah, yeah. i find it really it's really bizarre that that there was a time when David Bowie was the the hotness that was going to perform at the Brit Awards. Like the Brit Awards yeah. to me is a little bit 
uh, I don't know. It's a little bit uh, <laughs> a bit packed lunch compared to the American shows, isn't it? Like in America, yeah. you've got the grand, you've got the big award ceremonies, and then in England, we've got the Brits, which is the biggest here, but it's still mm. a little bit lunchbox, isn't it? Yeah. Although I, I did watch a documentary about placebo, and there was there were lots of people, uh, lots of various people talking, and I can't remember exactly who they were. Um, but one guy he was oh, he was a music journalist. He was saying that Bowie. At this time in the late nineties, he wasn't—he wasn't particularly cool anymore. He was—he was almost like a joke to the music industry. Oh no! I think they called him like Dame David or something. Oh really? Yeah, just like this—this this old, not old as in like age-wise, but like he was from the old times. That's and, the risk, isn't it? When you yeah. continue to, well, it doesn't happen to everyone, does it? But when you continue to be present, present in the in the music scene, and you're your core fan base has got older with you. All the, mm-hmm. all the new ones kind of look at you as a bit of a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah, it's strange. But um, yeah, I, I I was really shocked about this relationship. I thought this is this is really cool. This is really exciting. Also, I was going to say, I think Brian's voice in Never Let Me Go does sound a bit Bowie-ish at times. Okay, I'm gonna definitely gonna have to re-listen to that because I've not I've not picked up on any points. In Brian's career, where he sounded like Bowie, but but maybe but I might have just missed it. I think because of because of his his age, uh, his voice has changed with his age. I was like, oh, this 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 does sound like a Bowie influence there. Did you read his open letter on Facebook to to Bowie after he died? No, I didn't. He left. I'll, I'll read you the first two paragraphs. It's not oh. it's not a lot. Mm-hmm. And he so he posted this to Facebook just a couple of days after Bowie's death. It says, dearest David. Wherever you are now, I miss you. Not only do I miss you, but my heart is broken. You were my idol, then you became my mentor, and then my friend. Mm. I learnt so much from you just being in your presence. The conversations we had, and of course, watching you perform. You always had time for me. My band and I were tiny when we first met. Nonetheless, you took us under your wing. You believed in us, and you gifted us with so many fantastic opportunities. Mm. That's sweet. Nice. So 99, they performed at Brit Wars in 99. That was the year after the release of Without You, I'm Nothing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's why they were performing together, because that, that features uh, the duet with, with Bowie. Yeah, oh, of course, yes. Um, yes. It was their second studio album. Mm-hmm. Didn't do quite as well as the first, but negligible difference, really. It was uh, it went in at seven in the UK, and I think their debut went in at five. Uh, second point of the, of the discussion where I'm going to say I had no idea. But they've just consistently been really quite successful, you know. Yeah, like they've not had a flop. Not not no. none of their albums have flopped. No, I'm just surprised that we don't hear more about Placebo because, like, if it, no one is referring to Placebo as one of the great bands of the last twenty years, but every album they've released, apart from I think Loud Like Love got to eleven, or perhaps mm. um, yeah, was it Loud Like Love or, or the one before that? But apart from that, they've all been top ten albums. Mm. Yeah. Which is amazing, I think. Yeah, incredible. I mean, and and to to see where they started, you know, they were they were doing lots of little gigs all around London, and there was a real buzz. Yeah. And they they got the attention of so many people, and it just spiraled. And yeah, they they they're incredibly successful. Really, really brilliant. And I really like all their albums. Actually, I don't think there's any particularly weak albums. I mean, there's some that I like more than others, but. There's there's none where I think oh they just they just don't know what they're doing anymore. 
There's no objectively bad albums. <laughs> mm, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's yeah. uh, let's move on to question two. Question two: Who is the album Black Market Music dedicated to? Mm, who is it dedicated to? Oh my days! I'm you you either know it or you don't. don't you? I don't know. I don't know. It is dedicated to Scott Peering. And who is Scott Peering? Thank you. Scott Peering was a successful music promoter who worked in the UK. He was an American who moved to the UK and then made quite a name for himself, I think, in the 90s, promoting a bunch of indie bands. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't remember who he... Oh, yeah, I have got a list here of who he worked with. He worked with Pulp, the KLF, the Smiths. He became the manager of the Smiths for uh, three of their albums. Uh, Stereophonics, Placebo, Underworld, and The Prodigy. Mm. And I think that in the in the the UK music scene, he had quite a strong name for himself. Everyone knew Scott Peering, and then he died of cancer in January two thousand. So yeah, so Placebo dedicated black market music to uh, him, and the Stereophonics dedicated just enough education to perform to him. Ah, uh, right. Okay, so he had quite a name for himself. Yeah, I think so. Nice. So there you go. There's one other okay. dedication on that album. Don't know if you know what it is. I would not know what it is, I'm sorry. Confession to Levi is a reference to uh, Placebo's sounds technician, a guy called Levi Tekovsky. And it's a really loose... (laughs) The story's a bit loose, I think. (laughs) But Confession to Levi is is dedicated to Levi Tekovsky because apparently Levi Tekovsky once saved Brian's life. Hmm. Now, I've listened to Brian tell the story of how Levi saved his life, and I think Mm. it's a bit of i think he's exaggerating okay. a little bit he says that he was very drunk uh, in milan and he ran out behind the bus behind the tour mm. bus and levi pulled him back and then a, a speeding car went past ah. so if levi wasn't there he would have been hit by a speeding car and died right. but this is a bit it's a bit loose we've all we've all run out and then not <laughs> yeah uh, but anyway that's what uh, so confessions to levi was was uh, dedicated to levi tukovsky Okay, well, that's nice. I- I've got to say, Black Market Music is one of my least favourite of their albums. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. I just couldn't really get into it. Like, it sounded a little bit a little bit aimless to me. I mean, it gets a bit trancey and a bit um, and a bit dark. And then, I don't know, it, I just can't really get into the, the mood of it. And then the track Spite and Malice, I thought, like, what is this? This is just a mess. <laughs> Yeah, okay. They um they slipped up with Spite and Malice. <laughs> they did. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I mean, well, I do know what's going on there. It's it was that time. It's uh, it's new metal, isn't it? Spite and Malice is a new metal. Yeah, thing. and I'm just like this. And is, Placebo this aren't a new metal band. This doesn't belong here. It's, I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. But there's some there's some. I, I mean, maybe it's just nostalgia. Hmm. But there are some great tunes on here. Some tunes that just bring back memories. Tasting Men. Hmm. Special mm-hmm. K, uh, Slave to the oh, Wage, yeah. Hemoglobin, uh, Black, Black Eyed. Eyed. I oh. like Black Eyed. Oh, yeah. Great tunes. I, yeah. I agree. They're not, it's not consistent, but um, oh, there's some, some really good tunes or black market music. And no, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is good music, but I'm just saying it's my least favorite. It didn't grab me like the others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did, did just as good commercially. Uh, yeah. Like we said, you know, everything they do does well commercially. And and had a, a good run of singles on it. I don't know what what came out. I guess Black Eyed, Special K, and Taste in Memory singles because I'm de- mm-hmm. I was definitely hearing those all over the radio. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Taste of Men's a great uh, opener, isn't it? It's a brilliant opener, but has... Okay. Every time... <laughs> like, I've heard Taste of Men that hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Mm. But still, to this day, as soon as it starts, that guitar riff, yeah. mm. I want to go back with another one of those black rocking beats. Yeah, I can hear it. Yes. I, I see what you mean. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. Back with another one of those blunt rocking beats. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's done a mashup of those two trains. I can't unhear it. Oh, they're so similar. I can't believe no one else has, no one else seems to have mentioned it online or anything. But I wonder when Block Rocking uh, Beats came out. Uh, if it, it must have been before I think, this. Oh, Block Rocking Beats was like mid nineties. That was Surrender, wasn't it? Yeah, 95. it was a Surrender track. Yeah, it's still a great song though. Um, it's still a great song, yeah. And it's only the intro. The rest of it doesn't sound like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Special K is cool. Black Eyed, love Black Eyed. The drums yeah, think, on it are really funky. Yeah, I think we've mentioned all the, the hard-hitting tracks on the album. There's mm-hmm. a lot of... There's a little bit of fluff on there. I mean, Days Before You Came. Mm-hmm. It's nice and heavy, but it's not... It, the production is kind of lacking a little bit on this tune, I think. The vocals sound mm-hmm. a bit mashed up. It's not It's mm-hmm. not the best It's not the best production on it. It's a bit, of, a bit half-assed, I think. Commercial for Levi, it's slower and gentler. And I think that I don't, it seems like online, not everyone agrees with this, but I, I tend to find those slower, gentler tunes don't work as well for me. I don't, I don't love the placebo sound when it's, yeah, when it's like that. Yeah. Um, commercial for Levi is not the worst version of that. Um, but it's still, I prefer the, I prefer the heavier stuff. Um, the, the energy. Yeah. The energy. The energy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. Yeah. But I, I love Brian's voice in everything he does. So. I will happily listen to slow songs and upbeat songs and whatever, just as long as there's no like rapping over the top. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's blessed with a very unique voice. So, oh, if, yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, he's kind of done that thing where if you like his voice, you're going to listen to, no matter what they release, you're probably going to listen to it because you like his voice. Yeah, yeah. And I can't think of anyone who sounds like him. Yeah, he's he's very oh super unique, super unique. Yeah, like you, as soon as you hear him, like oh yeah, that's that's Brian. Yeah, two thousand Black Market Music came out. And it was a third record, and so it was the second record with uh with Steve Hewitt, which is kind of like the classic lineup, isn't it? Mm, yes. Um, yeah. You know, seeing interviews yeah. of them at this time, they were so, they worked so nicely together. Just the dynamic as well as people, those three together. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they really work well as a trio. There's a lot of hoo-ha about the song Special K in the UK, wasn't there? Because of the reference to ketamine. Several stations refused to play it, so it didn't do well in the charts, obviously. And so they released it onto a special EP, which wouldn't be legible for the charts. It's like an enhanced EP. Um, Yeah, they, they did it in a different way. They didn't do it in the normal single way. And they they were kind of sticking a middle finger up to the music industry in that sense. Mm. But it's you know to to have a song called Special K, regardless of you know what the lyrics imply or anything. I mean, they knew what they were doing because they were buzzing. <laughs> I think yeah, I think the for term, sure. I think the term that was used in an interview, he said we were buzzing both off the success of the first two albums and off the copious amount of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty debaucherous time. Yeah, yeah. Um, they took a lot of drugs. Yeah. Oh, I found a 
quote, they it was a statement that they posted on their fan club website, and they said, so the British music industry, which has recently been championing disposable, facile pop and music, which promotes homophobia, misogyny and violence, has, in its infinite wisdom, taken offence to the lyrical content of our new single, Special K. This combined with our ongoing dissatisfaction with the two CD system, I guess that means albums and singles, mm-hmm. um, since we feel it rips off genuine music fans, has forced us to take the decision to bypass the system completely. Special K will be released on one single, available at regular CD single price, com- comprised of eight items, which will make it non-chart eligible. Uh, so I guess it's like an EP. Interesting. Um, we feel this is the best deal for our fans, and that it drives home the statement that we don't care about chart positions. Interesting. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that at all. I, I missed mm. that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, but yeah, it's not a very offensive song, is it? You know, ketamine is. It's a metaphor for love and feelings. Yeah, I don't think it's offensive at all. Yeah. Hmm. Anywho, mate. Question three. This is your, this is your big comeback. It's not. <laughs> this is the one. This is the it's one, man. It's not. Okay, which music video by Placebo features a bathtub full of legs? Oh, this is um, Nancy Boy. Yeah, there you go, mate. Big <laughs> well, that's an breath. easy one. <laughs> is that easy? Well, I mean, it's it's probably their most famous video apart from Pure Morning. I'd oh, say. is it? I, th- I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's um, a very memorable music video, isn't it? It's it's such a cool video. It's oh, it's mega cool. It's bonkers, absolutely bonkers. So for the listener who hasn't seen it, they are playing, the band are playing in kind of like a horror film-esque greenlit brick warehouse and around them is all sorts of weirdness, freak show weirdness yeah. going on. Like <laughs> images from the Saw. Um, there's bits of a torso on a bed of spikes. Mm-hmm. There's a trailer of spikes with one pair of legs walking along behind it. There's a lot of legs. Yeah, there's a lot of legs. There's a fist with legs. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> there's a massive fist with legs. Um, Brian is done up to the nines with like pink lipstick and his makeup done amazing, and that contrasts mm. with all the like the rest of the scene everywhere. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, there's this bathtub full of yeah, legs and oil and mess. It's yeah. it's bonkers. Yeah, it, rem- it reminds me a bit like uh, I guess like a Nine Inch Nails video. Yeah. Or. Like an early Soundgarden video, you know? Yeah, or just like some a gentle Marilyn Manson video. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one as well. Yeah, and funnily enough, I there's musically, I feel there's quite a few tunes by Placebo that make me think of Marilyn Manson. Uh, I think that he's mm. he's played a bit of a, a of an influence on them. Any particular? With me. Oh, yeah, Space Monkey. Uh, what album's that on? Meds? Yes, but that tune, actually. That tune was definitely sounds... A lot like a Manson tune. So even after the vocals kick in, sounds so much like a Marilyn Manson tune. Hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of their music, the more you listen to it, there's definitely an industrial influence mm. on there. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's always there's always an undertone of industrial music and yeah, definitely in the Meds album. Yeah, um, Steve looks quite interesting in the Nancy Boy video. Oh, I don't remember what Steve looks like in the Nancy Boy video. Well, that's funny because <laughs> because his face is all blurred out. Oh, it's because he was actually contractually he was actually contractually obligated to another band on a different label at the time. Oh, right. So, so his his face is all mushed up. It's like a it's like a big blur. What album was Nancy Boy on? Uh, the debut. Oh, so that was so Steve Hewitt is in the video. He's technically in the. 
he's technically in the video, but he his face isn't visible. Interesting, because because it, it, yeah. he's not credited on the album, is he? It's um, uh, uh, somebody else. Can't remember. No, no, it wasn't him on the album. But I think he joined he joined the band, and he's he's on the video, but he, yeah, his face is is blurred out. Interesting, yeah, because I think that they'd met Steve prior to releasing the debut, but yeah, because he was in another band at that time, that's why mm. he couldn't join them immediately, and he and he came yeah. on for the without you, I'm nothing. Yeah, but but because of the way the video is artistically, it actually kind of works. It's all like body horror, and yeah. you know the drummer's face is like it's all like a big splat. Yeah, you know, so it, it kind of works. Uh, also, I heard on an interview somewhere that his face was covered with a towel on top of the pops at this time when they played Nancy Boy, but I couldn't find that uh, on any footage. I really wanted to see it, just him playing with a towel over his head. <laughs> I've watched a couple of performances on Top of the Pops and I haven't no- noticed Tailhead but no. I could have just not been looking in the right direction It's always, Top of the Pops always winds me up because you just never know when people are lip syncing and not mm. because they pushed it so hard with Top of the Pops I would say every performance I've seen from Placebo on Top of the Pops was brilliant it was such mm. a good performance Definitely. but you just don't know do you <laughs> like, uh, I, I'd be surprised if they were if they were lip syncing it but yeah. I know that a lot of bands uh, even up to that era, were were really pushed, weren't they, to mm. to not sing live? Yeah, like Nirvana just sitting there, just not not even playing along <laughs> yeah. with the song. <laughs> yeah, it's such a shame they did that. not not Nirvana. I'm talking about Top of the Pops. It's such a shame they did that. I don't know why they mm. they pushed that so hard, but oh, I don't know. Uh, but but I, I'm pretty sure Placebo didn't lip sync. Yeah, um, I really like their Top of the Pops sets. Or yeah, Are Top they, of the they, Pops performances. Yeah, they're, they're great performances. They really are really good performances. Brian's got such a great live voice, generally. I mean, obviously, everyone's got a bad day, but on the on the whole, <laughs> he is, he sings live so well. Oh, yeah. It just it just sounds as good as, if not better, than the albums. Yeah, he does, yeah. And you're inclined to think that he's, I don't know, he's a little bit delicate or something vocally, but, but actually he's not at all. He's got no. great control of that live. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah serious lungs on him. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, music videos wise, what's uh, what's some of your favourites? I mean, their videos are a bit strange, aren't they? Like Special K is just bonkers. Video. Well, Pure Morning is is an amazing video, I think. Such pure Morning is it's a classic video. It's absolutely beautiful. I have such vivid memories of watching that as as a teen, just thinking, "Wow, this is so cool!" And like, hardly anything happens really. You know, you could I you could totally be, agree. Yeah, it's you like could nothing... you could say what happens in about a sentence. It, I don't know how it doesn't get boring. Like it's, it, it, but it really doesn't. It's amazing, isn't it? Because mm. all that happens in the whole video is he's standing by the window, he jumps out the window, and then he lands on the wall, and mm. that's pretty much it. Yeah, but it doesn't that's get it, boring. But it's so it's so tense and absolutely beautifully shot. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It really is. Brian's mum and dad are in that video. Are they really? Yeah, I think they are in the crowd, like telling him to to no, don't jump. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. What do you think the relevance is of um, Stefan and Steve getting arrested? Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't really, I really thought about it, to be honest. Yeah, it's a bit what do you think? Well, I don't know. I, I was, when I was watching it, I was thinking, why are they getting arrested? I don't get it. Because he's just, he's about to jump and then he survives it and he lands. That's fine. I can, I can roll with that. But I don't understand why. Why would they be arrested? They're being arrested and carted away. Maybe the police were going to arrest Brian as well. 
And so he's right. trying to escape the police. Yeah, maybe by... the three of them have just robbed someone. Yeah, maybe he's trying to jump out the building to escape. And he uses his superpowers to walk down the, the, the building. Oh my God, you've nailed it. So the policeman isn't running up the stairs to stop him from jumping. He's running up the stairs to arrest him. Well, it's kind of, maybe it's kind of both. Maybe he's trying to escape the police. He is trying to escape the police, isn't he? Yeah. <gasps> I never realised that. I thought he was about, it was someone that was about to jump and they're trying to stop him from jumping. But actually he's, he's running from the police and that's why the cop's like, ugh. Mm. Uh, Slave to the Wage is like a like Special K again. It's a bit futuristic sci-fi, and there's all the but well, more futuristic sci-fi mm. than getting shrunk down and swimming amongst blood vessels. It's like loads of brainwashed people working together on typewriters, and very oh, much yeah. in the theme of Slave to the Wage. Yes, yeah. Um, the bitter end. They're playing in the in the satellite dish or the level telescope. Yeah, that's cool. I've got vivid memories of seeing that as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah, like, I definitely that's saw a really that cool video. Yeah. Uh, Taste in Men is not not a great video, I don't think. It's like a big manor house hosting a dinner party or something for the rich and famous. And then this chick has an argument with this guy. And then she ends up with Brian. And then Brian wakes up and it was all a dream. Oh, twist. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it's a bit. You Don't Care About Us? Did you see that one? No, I don't think I have. The, the band are thrown into a shark tank while a group of children stand by and watch. Definitely not seen that. What happens? <laughs> I don't think you see the band get eaten by the sharks, but it, yeah, it's it's a bit creepy. The, the children are really creepy in it. They always are, aren't they? A video that I really like, actually, is for the song Too Many Friends. Cool, definitely uh, haven't seen that, I don't think. Because there there's, there's a video, I think it's like a UK version or a European video, and then there's an American video, and it's got the author... Brett Easton Ellis talking at the start and it's very hard to describe but it's it's well worth a watch and, and I absolutely mesmerised watching it it's very strange like it's it's like at a party a house party around a, a pool side uh, with these uh, very beautiful probably very wealthy youngsters doing terrible things to each other at this party and narrator's kind of trying to unpack it, like, oh, what happens here? What happens here? What happens here? And I thought it was really clever. Really, really interesting video. Interesting. Hot tip. Alrighty. You ready for question four? No. Go for it. This is a tough one. But you've, you've got one point now, so... Yeah, okay. I can but relax. don't rest on it. You still need to try hard. Question four is, <laughs> what name does Brian call his pink guitar? Oh, God, I don't know. What does he call his pink guitar? Bertie. Bertie. <laughs> Sounds like a euphemism. What does he call his pink guitar? Uh, his first guitar was called Bitch. And Yeah. Oh, you knew about Bitch? I knew about Bitch, yeah. Yeah, and then in between, he's got... I think I think when he really revealed the name of Bertie, he had like 10 guitars, and he, he named all of them. But I can't remember the name of any of the others. So there you go, That's, Bertie. That is, that is cool. That's a cool little fact. <laughs> yeah. I found this out on a Graham Norton interview in 2003. Mm. I'm, I'm sure he's revealed that in other interviews, though, because I've seen this on... No, I, well, the reverse of this question. I saw Who is Bertie as a question on a How Well Do You Know Placebo quiz. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I don't think it's just Graham Norton where he mentioned it. But 
Uh, just to talk a little bit about Graham Norton in 2003. <laughs> oh, he was a bit more edgy, wasn't he? Oh my God, yeah. It was a blast from the past because it, yeah, it definitely reminded me how edgy it was, like how risque Graham Norton was. Oh, you used to love staying up really late watching Graham Norton. It was a bit filthy, wasn't it? A little bit. Oh my god! Blimey. I mean, this this interview with Brian Molko and Graham Norton, it was just non-stop innuendos and mm. cracking jokes about orgies and celebrity hookups mm-hmm. and getting what Brian calls chubbies whilst he performs. <laughs> I mean, and they and there's what they do is Graham's bought this thing online, which is like a like vibrating knickers that vibrate <laughs> when you talk into the microphone. Oh, wow, okay. So then he, he picks a woman from the audience and she puts them on and then Brian's singing into the microphone and she's, oh, getting, days. she's getting super turned on by it. It's, it's like, my God, this is... <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was a bit blown away by it. The good days of television. Yeah, he was really dirty back then, wasn't he, Graham Norton? Maybe he still is. I haven't seen it in years. Is it still on? He's a little bit more family-friendly now. Yeah. He's more mainstream presents the Eurovision subcontest. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, you got to be. you got to be a bit cleaner then, haven't you? Yeah. You're on Eurovision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The squeakiest of all squeakies. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I haven't seen his pink guitar, Bertie, but I've I've been told that he played it on that Graham Norton performance. <laughs> so. <laughs> I haven't seen his pink guitar. <laughs> it just sounds like such a, it's just the whole thing. It's just like a massive innuendo. <laughs> Maybe it's just Brian taking the piss out of us all. Yeah, yeah, I think real. he is. I don't think it's a real guitar. I, he also says that uh, "bitch" has a sticker on her that says "bitch." But I, I looked at, I was trying to find "bitch" on in like some live performances, and I couldn't see any guitar with a sticker on it. Have you seen it? Or well, maybe the sticker's on the back. All oh, right, hello. You weren't born <laughs> yesterday, were you? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, maybe the sticker's on the back. All right. <laughs> Um, did you know that you can actually buy some of their gear on Reverb.com? What, like uh, auctioned off celebrity stuff? or? Well, you can actually buy their guitars and uh, synths. You can, they, like they've used, put them but on ones that they've used to perform with them? Yeah, ones that they've used even on, on the albums, yeah. Uh, and are they actually... extortionately priced? Or? Uh, well, I'm looking at the shop now, the official placebo Reverb shop. So there's a Fender Electric... 12 six thousand pounds it, it's it's not extortionate i mean it's a beautiful guitar so 12 strings there's an amazing this is this bison bass uh, I, I think it might be bison bass but bison bass um in a beautiful coffin shaped case and that's four thousand they're they're usually around that mark that's cool, they're, they're selling, that's cool they're selling the stuff time. on there yeah yeah absolutely yeah, like the actual things that they played on, or like a hollow body bass that they played on, Stefan played on the MTV Unplugged. Oh, cool. Yes, yeah, so it's all on there. Bass-wise, I hadn't noticed in their music before, really, how, how prominent the bass was, but they, they've mm. always got awesome bass lines. And, yeah. And it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite bold in the mix also, the bass, in, in most of their music. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is really good. I really like Stefan's playing. And um, Brian actually plays bass sometimes as well. Yeah, they're pretty fluid, aren't they? They kind of swap every now and again. One interview I saw with them from around early 2000s, Brian was saying, we we don't see ourselves as a three-piece where one of us plays 
guitar, one drums, and one bass. Like we'll we'll happily move around as we need to. What well, do do Stefan O'Brien ever play the drums? Yeah, Stefan started as a drummer, didn't he? Uh, yes, he did. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So we yes, know Stefan did. can play drums. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Brian's quite comfortable on most instruments. Yeah, they they've got some really nice gear actually. Um, I'm not much of a gearhead, but like for example, the Fender Bass Six. It's like a six-string bass, but it's tuned and and built like a guitar, like a standard electric guitar, and it's got a whammy bar. Uh, but it's a bass, and they did do a auction actually of some of their gear as well for the mental health charity Calm, C A C A L M. They auctioned off a load of their stuff, and they raised over twenty-seven thousand pounds. Good on them. Yeah, and that included Brian's ribbed jumper from the Pure Morning video. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're quite outspoken about mental health issues. They're just good guys, aren't they? Yeah. Really nice guys. Come. I like them. So what album came after Black Market Music? Meds. No, Sleeping With Ghosts. Actually, okay, so Sleeping With Ghosts is probably an album that I haven't got a great deal to say about. I really Can liked it. Yeah? I okay. really liked it. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I think it's the production, the general ambient electronic spookiness of it. You know, it feels like, feels quite ghostly. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the sound of it overall it, it's it sounds really ethereal and I, and I yeah i really enjoyed it i found it really interesting yeah it's kind of it, it's definitely the next step in their evolution and they 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 from well even from without you i'm nothing really they started to involve more electronic production into their music yeah and i think that sleeping with ghosts and meds you start to really notice that mm, yeah absolutely absolutely battle for the sun is is, an, is another interesting turn isn't it Battle for the Sun is a really interesting album, and actually looking at my notes, this is where I've put, I get a Mark Bolan vibe from Brian's voice on this record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can hear that. Can he, hear ups, that. he ups the vibrato a little bit more than normal on, on this record, is what I've put on quite a few tracks here, and I've put particularly noticeable on Kitty Litter, mm. which actually Kitty Litter is, is a really interesting choice for an opener, because it's not a typical placebo opener, really. They tend to have quite a hard-hitting tune for the opener generally yeah which is good i I thought that they are really good at opening their albums yeah they are really strong openers yeah i think kitty litter is a is is an exception it's not it's still a great tune but it's just not your typical no i agree but yeah battle for the sun is uh is is a good record and it's a it's a definite turn you you can definitely see a step away from like from meds onto battle for the sun Mm, i like it yeah i like it i mean so so many instruments on here like strings and woodwind yeah, Glock. Have they got a Glock on there? Like, there's uh, quite a few instruments that I'm hearing that I'm not can't pinpoint as to what it is, but they use a sound yeah. quite regularly that I think is a Glockenspiel. I think so. Oh, from for what it's worth, you know the song for what it's worth. Yeah, uh, there's it's got a horns part of it, sounds. It? Yeah, there's weird horns and, and interesting vocals, and I think it is a Glockenspiel. Um, there's a bit that sounds a bit like a like an old video game, like a Tetris kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, for what it's worth, it sounds like fit for a concert hall or something. It's, mm, definitely, it's a really definitely. grand tune. Yeah, I think it's just a grand album overall. It's a little bit far out for me. Like it's, I, I, I don't quite like this direction, but I appreciate what they're trying to do. There's, I mean, I was surprised that there were a couple of tracks there that I knew. I mean, I didn't think that I knew Placebo was still making music at this time. Mm, but mm-hmm. um, the title track, Battle for the Sun, I definitely recognised. And also Devil in the Details, I recognised. So they, right. they must have heard that before. Mm. 
Them little yeah, details is a cool tune. Really cool drums on it. Really cool drums on it. Really like it. Lo- really nice fills. And quite a bassy tune as well. There's actually there's quite a lot of bass on um on Battle for the Sun. Yeah, but it's also quite stripped back in other places. Yeah. Like, like there's some parts when it's just Brian's vocals, nothing else. Like, whoa, this is quite quiet. Yeah, there's a few of those, isn't there? Mm. And then there's Julian, which is like an industrial dance tune. <laughs> yeah, Julian's mad, yeah. <laughs> a very strange, like, trance loops going on, yeah. Yeah, it's a bizarre tune. Very strange. It, it it doesn't quite... I don't think it really fits on here. No, it's it's just very different. It's very different. Um, definitely doesn't fit, I don't think. And it's a bit of a hodgepodge as well, because it's like got... It's got these industrial dancey bits and then it's got these club sounding bits and then it's got some, mm. some more stripped back bits and uh, it's yeah it's a bit of a bit of a Frankenstein tune. Mm. Yeah, I mean I think the whole album's a, a Frankenstein really, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Breathe yeah. underwater is like I mean that could have been from their debut. It goes really yeah. hard. It's got loads of power to it and it doesn't sound like it's from Battle for the Sun. But yeah, no. great great album. Can't remember why we started talking about that, but it's a it's a good album. Question five. What was the name of the 2008 album released by Stefan's dance project Hotel Persona? Oh, uh, oh, I had this in the cloud. Yeah, I'll give it to you. Into the clouds. Oh, into the cloud. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll give it to you. It's all right. Oh, thanks. Two points, thanks. two out of five. Yay. Nice. Have you listened to this? No, I haven't. Have you? <laughs> I have listened to it, yeah. What do you think? It is so Europop. Is it? It's just Europop. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. It's so... It, I just didn't expect it. Didn't expect it. Yeah, oh. so Hotel Persona are Stefan Osdal, David Armin, his husband, and Javier Solo. I think Javier Solo, all he does, though, is he provides some vocals. So the Spanish mm-hmm. vocals are Javier and the, the English vocals are Stefan. Mm-hmm. I think that the production is all Stefan and David. And on the album... They also have additional vocals from Brian Molko mm. and, uh, bizarrely, Sam Fox <laughs> does, does a track as well. Okay, yeah. I mean, what was Sam Fox even a thing in 2008? I feel that Sam Fox is a couple of decades out. I think, well, I think so, yeah, but good for her, I guess. Good for her, but it seems yeah. like an odd one for Stefan to have called up Samantha Fox and go, <laughs> do you want to <laughs> appear on my new... Yeah, you dancey, uh, my my Euro dance album. Yeah, but he, he toured with Topasona all around Europe, I think. Did he? Yeah. Look, it, it's it's got a sound that I've, in Germany they would love it, and you know other parts of Europe, but it's not for me. Yeah, I mean, on the whole, I would say this whole record does not sound like it was made by half of Placebo, and that it doesn't sound like it came out in two thousand and eight. Can I just have a little listen? Of course you can. Yeah, it's. I'll, I'll have to give this a listen. Yeah, it's. It's looks interesting. Yeah, I love it though when band members do side projects and that are very different. Totally off, off. Yeah. yeah, off kilter. Yeah. Do you, have you heard of his other project? No. Stefan? What is it? So his other project is Digital Twenty One and Stefan Oldstell, and they've had two albums out: one in twenty seventeen and one in twenty twenty one, and it's also the club dance music. I've listened to the first album, the 2017 record. Um, there's a little bit of techno in there, but the vast majority of it is like, yeah, 
just dance dance music club music I'm not going to listen to 40 minutes of club tunes to hear a little bit of interesting techno it's for a particular no. audience definitely um, yeah. and i'm i'm obviously not that that demographic okay brian doesn't have a solo project i don't think uh, or side project as far as i can tell did you find anything no i didn't no seems quite comfortable in his in his placebo band yeah yeah because like i alluded at earlier they've not stopped at all really it's no. the the break they had between um the last two albums it's easy to think oh, okay they took a hiatus but they didn't they continued touring that whole time mm-hmm. just, they just weren't releasing new music i mean they released an ep yeah that was it and, and they've been touring that whole time so they've still been placebo yeah i would have expected at least like a solo album he just he seems like a, such a i mean all of them do but he just seems like such a creative person with a lot to say and his lyrics are so deep and interesting uh, you know i would have i would have expected a solo album mm. maybe he just loves playing in the band so much i quite like that he's not done anything solo mm. yeah i quite like it that he's he's this figurehead for placebo and that's uh, uh, yeah i like that uh, it's cool yeah you're cool brian's cool he always is cool. Yeah, um, interesting then. And they still carry on as a duo. Yeah, I mean, it's, they are a duo really, aren't they? I mean, they've, they've had so many, other than the debut album, I think every album has had like a full roster of session musicians for different things. Mm. Like they, yeah. do, they do bring in a lot of other guys. I know Steve Forrest was with them for two albums, but I kind of view them as the core trio at the beginning mm-hmm. with, uh, with Steve Hewitt. And then after that, it's just been a duo with with different musicians coming and going. Yeah, yeah, that's how I see it too. And they're they're very recognisable as well. Like everyone knows Brian and Stefan when they see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to make. I'm not poking fun at people's height, but I just think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that's, fun how that's like how you start a sentence when you're about to make fun of someone's height. <laughs> no, I'm not making fun because I'm quite short. Because um, Brian is five foot six and Stefan six foot four and you know they, there's such a contrast but they both look like they both have so, so much stage presence you know yeah so so what haven't we mentioned then so after the battle for the sun we've got loud like love which is very much on the same yeah you know, on the same level as battle for the sun really i think in many ways it feels very positive like yeah, oh it absolutely is yeah very it upbeat. feels it feels almost like they've just taken loads of happy pills and suddenly they're just yeah, like they found religion and they're they're really happy. Like it, it it's it's a really strange sensation listening mm. to this album, but I quite enjoy it. Like the songs are really catchy and Brian's really good at writing melodies. And I don't mind this album. I saw a lot of negative reviews for it around the internet, but yeah, I I, I quite like it. I I like it as well, but it's it's not their strongest at all. And there are some oddities. In this album, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Too many friends. My computer thinks I'm gay. Didn't understand that. <laughs> didn't understand the lyrics to that one. What else have I got? Rob the bank is just too much repetition. Weird lyrics. Make mm-hmm. make a joke out of dyslexia, then pick your nose. That's a lyric from Rob the bank. You know what? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need to listen to their lyrics a bit more, actually. Yeah, I mean, the ones that struck me on this album are really make a joke out of dyslexia, then pick your nose. And my computer thinks I'm gay. Those mm. are kind of the weirdest lyrics. Scene of the crime is a really grand theatrical number. Um, mm-hmm. And I put in my notes, Chris Martin would love to sing over this. 
And then, and then I put, there's strings, probably not real. Again, Chris Martin would like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Placebo would not like Chris Martin to sing over it. No, I, I, no one wants Chris Martin to sing over it. Only Chris Martin does. Oh, bless. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's quite a few. There's quite a few bits on this record that, I'm, that I don't love, unfortunately. I think Purify is probably, probably one of my favourite tracks on the album. It's got mm. really swirly guitars and there's some there's some vocal effects on Brian's voice that kind of merge his voice with the guitars at some point. Mm. So I really like that. Very cool. Yeah, yeah very it's cool. A good tune. And it's slightly shorter than Battle, Battle for the Sun as well. Battle for the Sun's a little bit long and it felt a little bit long. Because mm. I think Loud Like Love's a bit snappier. You get through the album at yeah. a nicer pace. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then it's done and you go, oh, I'll listen to that again. It's a bit poppier, I think. Mm, probably, yeah, possibly. And then Never Let Me Go, you're a massive fan, huh? I I really like it, actually. Yeah, I only heard it la- uh, I only heard it last night for the first time. And I thought it was really beautifully produced. Brian sounds older. And as I say, so it sounds a bit like Bowie. A lot of synth is a bit Depeche Mode, I think. It's a very epic-sounding album, and I think that would sound good in a big concert hall. Mm. It's a it's a long album again though, nearly an hour. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's I, I've not listened to Never Let Me Go as much as the others, so it's kind of um, it's kind of passed me by a little bit. So I need to go and listen to it again. But it's been it's been really great discovering this band properly. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely keep listening. Well, someone who that is going to please very much is our super fan Ashley from uh, Canada. I spoke to Ashley a couple of days ago. Let's have a listen to how she did. It's really funny because I really I remember it quite vividly because it was like 2003 in like March or April and it was right around the time Sleeping with Ghosts just came out and uh, I got home from middle school and this will be a throwback for like millennials. I was talking to my friend on MSN Messenger <laughs> that I had uh, met on a Marilyn Manson forum and we used to talk all the time after school. I was in like grade seven or something like that. And uh, on MSN you could have this little avatar profile picture of whatever you wanted. And she had this black and white photo of what looked like this really pretty girl with a bob, like a black bob in a trench coat, Mm -hmm. uh, hugging herself. And I remember thinking, you know, me being like my emo wannabe goth self as a young preteen teenager, I was like, oh, that picture is so pretty. Who is that? And she's like, oh, it's actually a boy uh, from this band Placebo. I'm like, a boy? Like, who is that? And YouTube wasn't quite a thing yet. So I remember she emailed me an mp3 of my sweet prince from their without chew i'm nothing album and i was just absolutely in love with it because i just loved his unique higher pitched voice with those like distinct nasal undertones i thought it was just beautiful and the my sweet prince if you've heard the song is a really dark melodic beautiful song and that's something placebo do really well um kind of music a little bit on the darker side versus on the bright side mm-hmm. and i remember using my parents slow dial-up internet <laughs> being kind of archaic and going on Google and, you know, I was supposed to be doing homework, but, you know, spending all my time in the computer lab at school and at home Googling placebo. And I just, I wanted to hear more. And I think it was on MTV's website at the time in 2003, they had a flash player on their website and they had uh, placebo had just released the bitter end 
in Mar early March of 2003 before they had dropped their Sleeping With Ghosts album. I think, I think that was the first single they released. And I was just absolutely obsessed with The Bitter End. It's like arguably one of their heavier guitar songs to date, but like the lyrics, the vibe, I remember thinking Brian was just gorgeous on top of this dish singing, if you've seen that video, um, which at the time I didn't know was computer effects. I thought they were actually, <laughs> I thought they actually filmed the whole music video on top of the Lavelle telescope dish. Um, <laughs> and I know we didn't use like the word aesthetic back then, but the video had all these blue and gray cool tones that the other music videos on that album, like this picture special needs share as well. And there's just something about it. I mean, I was like 13 and I just, um, I just like was obsessed, just absolutely immersed myself into them. And then from there I bought their new album, Sleeping With Ghosts, because it was the easiest to find at HMB, being a new release in Canada. And I remember I begged and begged my mom to help me find their first three, because I just had to have them all. And I tracked down Without You Nothing, probably because Pure Morning was a huge hit here. And then, uh, I, yeah, and then I couldn't find the other two, so I had to uh, get my mom to help me order their debut and uh, their debut self-titled album and black market music because I just had to have them all. And I was banned from downloading music on my parents' computer because I used LimeWire and gave it how many viruses. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, I still listen to Placebo to this day. They're my absolute favorite. But like, even then, they introduced me to bands like uh, The Pixies, Garbage, The Cure. Them and Marilyn Manson at the time just opened this door for like a slew of what I consider to be really good iconic bands. Any bands that they worked with or that they were inspired by. But yeah, that's how I remember discovering them. And I've just been like a hardcore fan ever since. I, I love other bands, obviously, and I go see other bands, but they've always remained my number yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's got to have a number one. That's fine. Yeah, it's never changed. They've never dropped. Good. Uh, and when did you first see them live? Uh, I saw them first live uh, after uh, begging my mom to take me. Uh, was the Project Revolution tour. Uh, they were touring with Linkin Park in 2007, near the ends of near the end of their uh, meds their meds tour. It was the very end of their meds tour, and it was the only time I ever saw Placebo with. Uh, their drummer before their last drummer, Steve Hewitt. So, but it was a, it was like a daytime set, and it was during the daytime, and uh, I was a teenager. I really couldn't proper start following them on tour until I was like an adult and a little older adult, so I could afford to do it. Um, and then, has that has that fandom waned at all over the years, or now today? Are you still? I mean, because they've never stopped touring, have they? Are you still seeing them no. regularly, or? Um, no, they haven't stopped touring. Actually, before COVID. Uh, since the beginning of their career, they had always at least done one concert every single year since like 1995. It was only because of uh, during COVID when they couldn't tour, no bands could tour, that they didn't do a live show. Um, no, I have uh, last few albums, I've consistently gone to a couple concerts every single tour. Um, I've seen them live, uh, I was counting my stubs about 46 times now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this tour, I'm definitely going to hit 50 and go beyond because I really love their new album, Never Let Me Go. I'm really, really into it. Uh, I don't think fans knew what to expect with that one because that's that's placebo. You just never know what you're going to get. Yeah. That's amazing. So two really important questions then. First of all, have you met either Brian or Stefan? I, yeah, I've met both of them. 
uh, a couple of times. I met Stefan in 2003, or 2003, what the heck am I saying? In 2013, not 2003. Um, <laughs> I was 13, I wish I had met them in 2003. Sleeping with Ghosts probably would have been an amazing tour to see them on, I didn't get that chance. Um, no, I met Steph for the first time in 2013, and I had actually brought out a CD from uh, Stefan's side project, uh, Hotel Persona. Uh, that he doesn't work on anymore, but I, I remember pulling up the album for him to sign because I just loved it. And he's like, oh my god, I haven't seen one of these in ages, and we chatted about that. And he's just absolutely the loveliest, most patient, down-to-earth person for, I, th I think, placebo are pretty, they're famous to me, I feel like they're pretty famous. And he's just such, he's just so level-headed, down-to-earth, gives you eye contact when you talk to him, he's just the loveliest. And then uh, Brian I met for the first time properly in 2014 in Maryland and uh, I was able to show him my uh, my fan art. I draw like Kua inspired placebo fan art. Um, I have an Instagram page and uh, he was so lovely about it and he was like oh this is like manga right? <laughs> which is like anime which isn't exactly what I draw but I was like close enough. I was like yeah sure it's manga and uh, he signed it and he said he liked it a lot and he was just very sweet as well. Um, they don't always come out and sign after all gigs. Sometimes it's like a cross your fingers they do, sometimes they don't. They always surprise you in that way. But uh, yeah, no, they're they're super, super lovely. And then the other uh, big question, the next star towards super fandom is do you have a placebo tattoo? I have seven. I have uh, I have the lyrics from Plasticine, Don't Forget to Be the Way You Are. That's a track off their Sleeping with Ghosts album because I love it. Uh, I have the lyrics, It's In Your Reach, Concentrate off of Passive Aggressive uh, from their Black Market Music album. I have uh, lyrics from their song 36 Degrees on me, which is I've always been an introvert. Uh, I also have the placebo wings, which is uh, on the cover art of uh, this picture single. There's wings, there's tattoo wings on the back of a person. Mm -hmm. And I have, a lot of fans have that. I also have the word just placebo tattooed on me. I have the entire Meds album cover on my calf because it's my favorite placebo album to date. I have Soulmates tattoo, or Soulmates Never Die tattooed on a uh, tattoo of a little gravestone with a cat sleeping on it, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cute. Um, and then I have my last one. Oh, I guess that'd be eight, not seven. Uh, my last one, I have the word, you know, uh, because it's Brian's, it's Brian Malko's most used word in any interview. If you watch multiple oh, Brian right. Malko interviews, he goes, you know, I've met someone else who did as well. And here I thought I was being like, oh, well, this is a super unique placebo tattoo. Only hardcore placebo fans are going to get it. Sure enough, yeah. I met one at a gig. I have, you know, on me too. <laughs> well, I'm feeling pretty good about this quiz. I think you're going to nail this. You've seen them 46 times. You've got eight. You, you didn't even know how many placebo tattoos you had. <laughs> well, I mean, but I've heard some of your questions to the other ones. I'm like, you stumped some of them. So I'm like, oh, oh are you going to want to know who did the artwork for so-and-so album on so-and-so? Wow. We'll oh, wow. find out, won't we? Question one. What year did placebo perform at the Brit Awards with David Bowie? That would be 1999. Yeah, that was too easy, wasn't it? Was... Yes, yes. <laughs> I threw that point at you. Yeah. No, no, I love it. <laughs> now, I want, because you know everything about placebo, I couldn't figure uh, out how they first mm -hmm. met. Because I, I, I understand that David Bowie was into placebo before they even released their debut, but I don't know how he discovered them. Do you know? 
Yeah, uh, actually. So placebo started in uh, 94 and uh, they like shared, they're like a publicist or a manager, something like that. Their demo tape got in the hands of Bowie somehow that way through like a music connection. Mm. And then, yeah, and then uh, Bowie was doing a tour uh, where Morrissey was opening for him and then Morrissey like basically screwed off and went like went off to go see his mum being Morrissey. Morrissey doing what Morrissey wants to do <laughs> as usual and uh, they didn't even have their first album out yet and then Bowie was like placebo you guys should come open for me you should be one of my openers. So placebo were like uh yeah and jumped on the train. Yeah so that's how uh that's how Bowie got in or got to know of them hmm. which is pretty cool. To have that kind, you know, that kind of musical icon to be like, you know what, you guys have something. And you don't even have a first album out yet. Yeah. Like, so. But. Uh, awesome. Well, I'm so glad I spoke to you just for that thing, because I couldn't find that uh, <laughs> online in my in my scouring. But, I've, you know, I've not been scouring as long as you have. So. Uh, too many, too many placebo forums. Way too many <laughs> yeah. placebo forums. Well, it's a good start. We're on 100%. Question two. Who is the album Black Market Music dedicated to? Oh, oh, I know that, but I don't know his name. Oh, geez. Um, it was uh, someone who worked like he uh, he was like a publicist or something for them. And he was a friend of theirs. Oh, and he passed away, I believe, in 2000. I want to say his name is Scott something. And I'm positive he died from either, like he died from an illness, like cancer or something. Scott something, but he was like their publicist, I'm pretty sure. You're right with all of that. His, his name is Scott Peering. Okay. I couldn't think um, of the last name. I'm like, I could see it yeah. in my head. And, and yeah, he was, he was a publicist that worked with them and worked with a lot of indie rock bands in, in the UK. Uh, and had, had a great name in the industry. Yeah, I remember they had a... Oh, I remember reading, obviously. I wasn't a fan yet when that happened, but they had like a like a memorial... Not a party, but like a concert that was like a memorial for them. Yeah, yeah, and they also held a Scott Peering Award for a number yes. of years. Yes! Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because um, I believe Placebo performed at it at least once. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant work. Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, gonna to let you have that. You can have that. Yay! Are oh, you killing it. Question three. Which music video by Placebo features a bathtub full of legs? Oh, oh, that would have to be Nancy Boy. Yeah, it would. With the, um, can I say this? Is it, can I, I was going to say with the cum shot. Is that what? Where, where, yeah. Did I miss yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, they, uh, because that video got censored. Uh, a chunk of that video got censored, but they left the cum shot in. You'll see, I can it, see like, a lot you'll of, it. I can see a lot in that video that they would want to censor, but I didn't see a cum shot. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You'll see some uh, some fancy artistic white liquid fly up in a stream. Oh, right. Um, yeah, I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, Brian and Steph call it like the cum shot <laughs> when they because uh, they have a DVD where they talk over their videos. It's, uh, it's on the Once More With Feeling DVD. Uh, it was it was like it was only up till two thousand their music videos up till two thousand and four. But I mean, still they do a nice voiceover and talk about uh, the shoots that they did, which ones they liked, which ones they didn't, if they could change. You know, it's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant stuff. Yeah. I, love, I love to see stuff like that. <laughs> the same director that uh, Howard Greenhall as the one who did Nancy Boy is the same uh, director who did uh, The Bitter End. He did a couple videos for them, so they he, they were like one of their favorites. To work with and i just find it really interesting how different and and 
how different and unique those videos are. You would never yeah. think it was the same director. Fanta fountain of knowledge, <clears throat> aren't you? <laughs> I was so worried I was going to get all the questions wrong. I'm like, oh, and there's someone's going to comment. They're like, she didn't know shit. No, you're on a home stretch <laughs> now. Question four is, what name does Brian call his pink guitar? Oh, Bertie, which has now, which is now broken. But yeah, I believe he plays it on. There's a live, uh, a live performance on Graham Norton. I believe oh, it's not play? Graham that's Norton. Where I, that's where I got this fact yeah. from. <laughs> yeah, Graham Norton or Jonathan Ross. One of those they perform live, and he played the he played Birdie, but uh, Steph accidentally hit it with his bass, hit the uh, headstock off of it, so kind of broke Birdie. So Birdie died. But he recently acquired a new pink guitar. We saw uh, since the release of Never Let Me Go. So that's cool. Brian has gotten another pink guitar. Do you know the names of his other guitars? Uh, there's Bitch, uh, there's Goddess, there's Snow White. He's acquired a lot of new guitars, and I don't know if he's named them or if he's just not shared them with us. Because <laughs> we haven't heard any new names for a very long time. Like, that's old fan knowledge. Like, I don't know if he even still has Goddess. I know he still has Bitch. All right, well, four out of four. And question five. What was the name of the 2008 album released by Stefan Olsdahl's dance project Hotel Persona? Oh, what was the album called? Yeah. Oh, Into the Clouds, wasn't it? Yes, it was called. Into the okay. Clouds. He has another side project now. Uh, mm. D Digital 21 plus Stefan Olsdahl. Yeah, that's a friend of his and they uh, they came together. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's very, it's very pretty. I guess some of it's dance music. Some of it I would just call instrumental, really pretty instrumental music. But yeah, very different. And what were your thoughts on Hotel Persona? I loved Hotel Persona. I thought it was so sweet. <laughs> I like Steph's singing voice a lot, so I thought uh, he did uh, a lot of the, he did all the English vocals because there's some there's some songs that have uh, Spanish vocals, but he did all the English vocals, and I just thought it was really sweet. Uh, there's a song on Hotel Persona called Addicted. That's a really sweet song. If anyone out there is listening who isn't a, a massive placebo fan, has kind of only heard a couple of tracks on the radio. How would you sum it up in a couple of sentences to draw people in and get them to listen? If you like unique, distinct vocals, if you like a band that doesn't pigeonhole their sound, um, that are experimental, emotionally vulnerable in their lyrics, um, timeless, really. One of my absolute favorite things about Placebo is they never tried to sound like what was in when they made their album. So that's left you with a bunch of albums that could have, you know, did Meds come out, you know, 16 years ago or did it come out last week? You can listen to albums like that and you would have no idea because they never tried to sound like what was in. They just, you know, Brian once said, you know, if we make it and we like it, it's placebo. Whereas some, some bands kind of remake the same album all the time. The sound is always the same. You know that band just by their sound. Do you know what I mean? Like sure. how, yeah, one album sounds like the last, sounds like the last, sounds like the last. Some bands are like that. And some fans love that. But I find Placebo, we never know what we were going to get. Because, you know, Sleeping With Ghosts has more of an electronic sound to it. More synths, more, um, maybe not quite synths. I would say, uh, like sampler, like mm -hmm. they use a lot of s samples in Sleeping with Ghosts, and whereas Meds was kind of more, you know, back down to the some piano, guitar, and drums back to basics. You got their debut album, which kind of some fans would argue it has like a post-punk vibe, 
and I just, I just love that every album sounds different. You don't know what you're gonna get, and fans had no idea what we were gonna get with this new one. Uh, we were just, you know, just waiting. We're like, what's it gonna sound like? And sure enough, it was super experimental. I think uh, they actually used synths and then distorted them on an iPad, I believe I read in a recent interview, and I'm like, whoa, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, a band, sorry, that wasn't a couple sentences. I screwed that up. No, you, you just proved how much of a fan you are. I was just like, think of all the reasons I love Placebo. Here's an essay. Yeah. No, no. Well, you've, you've absolutely killed it. Five out of five. There's no doubt that you're a super fan. Oh, well, thank you. All right. Thank you, Ashley. What's a super fan? Amazing. 100%. Didn't hesitate. Is it? Incredible. Yeah. How, many, how many tattoos? Eight tattoos. Wow. How many tattoos do you have of Prince? Just one, <laughs> so far. Mate, it's a, that's one more than me. How, you don't have any My Vitriol tattoos? I don't have a My Vitriol tattoo, no. Uh, the only mate. My Vitriol memorabilia I've got is a signed copy of uh, Secret Sessions. It says, to, to, Chris, to Chris Love Song on it. Oh, you need to get that burned into your skin. Get it, get it tattooed on my chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that might Just be have your shirt... Have your shirt open all the time in the office. <laughs> you know, I work from home, so... <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. No one's going to see it apart from me. I'll have to put a mirror on my desk so I'd constantly see my, my hairy chest. I yeah. don't have a hairy chest. I don't, I don't even have a hairy head. No, that's true. <laughs> oh, what happened? what happened to this conversation? Where did it go? <laughs> Thanks to everyone that listens to uh, the B-52s episode. We've got a serious conversation to be had about our B-52s episode. We? Well, someone messaged uh, saying they weren't happy with our guests and... And that they would have done better. Yeah, I mean, we we are we are happy with all our guests and we choose from all our applicants and we thought we made the right choice and we still do, so... Jules was a, Jules was a big fan. Jules was a super fan, had been Huge for, fan. for several decades. You know, there's different kinds of fans out there and, and not all of them. You know, some of them listen to a band for decades but they're not really looking into the the life stories and such and so they don't they're not going to necessarily answer the questions as well but we've spoken to fans um we've spoken to some mega fans here that have that have still only got two out of five or something mm. you know uh, you know the questions are a bit of fun but in reality they're not a reflection of how big a fan someone is just a reflection of how how hard your questions can be oh, sometimes stop it. i was going to say that but it, it sounded so much more beautiful coming from you Oh, thanks. That was amazing. Thank you. I'll put a check in the post. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's not criticize any guests for getting things wrong that you got right. Cause yeah, just everyone's different and not everyone can write questions as good as me is, is what no, Matt is saying. That's, that's the moral of the story. Yeah. So if you want to appear on an episode or even if you just want to recommend an artist and you don't want to appear on an episode, then get in touch with us. You can contact us on the contact form at superfannews.net. Whilst you're there, sign up to the website and leave a review and help grow the world's greatest, soon-to-be greatest music media outlet. You can find us on Twitter at Superfancast and you can find us on Facebook at Superfancast. I think that's about it, isn't it? I think so. We'll be back in two weeks for another deep dive, which is going to be... Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Pearl Jam are great. The second episode we ever did was Faith No More. And at that time you said, Faith No More, one of my favourite bands ever. And how many points did you get for Faith No More? Uh, two, I think. 
Okay, so you've got to beat two then. So two's the bar. <laughs> if a Pearl Jam, you have to do better than two. Uh, I don't know much about. I mean, I, I I love their 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 early stuff. Like the the first three albums, are just very special to me. But everything else, I don't have a clue. Yeah, well, we're gonna find out, aren't we? Yeah. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Keep rocking. We will see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>